The following program is being brought to you on the Seventh Wave Network. For more information about our network and to check out additional show hosts and topics of interest, please visit SeventhWaveNetwork.com. The Voice America Talk Radio Network is the worldwide leader in live Internet talk radio. Visit VoiceAmerica.com. The views and ideas expressed on the following program are strictly those of the hosts or guests and do not necessarily reflect the views and ideas held by the Voice America Talk Radio Network, its staff, and management. Authentic Living with Andrea Matthews is brought to you by Spirituality and Health Magazine, the Soul Body Connection. Visit SpiritualityHealth.com today. Good afternoon, and welcome to Authentic Living with Andrea Matthews. Over the next hour, you'll learn how to see your true self in the midst of life's twists and turns. You'll be challenged to think outside of the box when it comes to the mysteries of life. Now, here's your host, Andrea Matthews. Well, we have Dr. Larry Dossie back today for the second time to talk about his latest book, The Science of Premonition, How Knowing the Future Can Help Us Avoid Danger, Maximize Opportunities, and Create a Better Life. Now, not only do we find that premonitions are common, but we can learn of the science behind them. Dr. Dossie is known around the world for his keen ability to bring scientific understanding to spirituality and for his advocacy for the role of spirituality in healthcare and wellness. He's the author of 11 books, including the New York Times bestseller, Healing Words. During his distinguished career as a practitioner of integrative medicine, he helped establish the Dallas Diagnostic Association, served as chief of staff of Medical City Dallas Hospital, and served on Hillary Clinton's task force on health care reform in 1993. He's the executive editor of Explore, the Journal of Science and Healing, and he's lectured all over the world and at major medical schools and hospitals in the United States, including Harvard, John Hopkins, and Cornell, and the Mayo Clinic, among others. Welcome, Larry, to the Authentic Living Show. Thanks so much for coming back. Andrea, it's great. Thanks for re-inviting me. Oh, we love it. We love it. So let's start out with a bang here. If asked, most of us would say that we don't want to know the future. In fact, many of us would much rather walk through a catastrophic crisis than pay attention to its forewarning. So why do you think this is? Well, that's one point of view. I must say that I don't share that. I think information is good. Uh, It depends on how we use it. We can be paranoid about it and uh, want to, you know, stick our head on the ground and not uh, not pay attention to what's coming up. But uh, I think that premonitions are a fantastic blessing. Uh, you only have to read about the experiences of people, many of which I include in the book, to see how a knowledge of the future can uh, be a blessing. It can actually save your life uh, in certain instances. Uh, and I think there's some real lessons about uh, our ability to see the future that really have a, really have a spiritual and psychological payoff for people. So I'm not uh, too sympathetic to people who just want to stick their heads in the, in the sand, so to speak, and ignore what may be coming up. Yeah. Yeah, it does seem to be how we live, though. Sometimes we're trying to survive more than we're trying to live. And in that same vein, we tend to think that if we get a premonition, that it's telling us about something that's fixed in time and space, and that once we visualize that, we'll not be able to do anything about it. So maybe that's a part of our resistance to paying attention. But is that really true? Uh, a lot of people do have that idea. I hear that uh, all the time from people. Uh, you know, I, if I see the future, then I, it's written 
uh, in stone and it's concrete and since i i can't change it anyway and uh, uh why in the world should i want to know about that i can just stop drive myself crazy worrying about what's coming up uh, i don't hold that view of the future i think if you look at the experiments that have been done and the way that premonitions manifest in people's lives we can see a different uh, take on this uh, my view that I advance in the book is the future isn't fixed, even though we might have a glimpse of what uh, may be coming down the pike, but it's uh, probabilistic. Uh, that's an idea which uh, comes from many sources, including some of the interpretations of modern physics, that the future is probabilistic, it's not fixed, and so there's wiggle room uh, for us to manipulate the future. Just because we see what probably will happen doesn't mean that it's going to happen. For example, in the book, I, I, I begin with a woman who, whose experience illustrates this, I think, dramatically. She was a, a young mother, and she had a dream one night in which her infant, uh, who was sleeping in the next room, with, uh, 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 was killed because a chandelier fell from the ceiling and uh, uh, crushed the baby, destroyed the crib, and, and so she was horrified. She woke up, she told her husband about this, he wasn't impressed. He just told her, to, you know, it's just a dream. Go back to sleep. She couldn't ignore it, though. She was terrified. She went and got the baby, brought the baby back to bed with them. And a couple of hours later, she and her husband were awakened by a crash in the next room. She went in, and sure enough, the chandelier had fallen out of the ceiling, wrecked the crib, and if the baby had been there, the baby would have died. So this woman had a, a glimpse, a, a camera-like glimpse of the future, uh, and uh, she took action, and she averted the death of her child. Uh, so I think this sort of sums up how we can use premonitions to our advantage. We don't have to be terrified of them. That was a terrifying nightmare for this woman. But she took it seriously and acted change part of the future that had to do with the life of her child. Mm-hmm. So that's why I say I believe premonitions can be a real blessing. Uh, they can aid our survival as well as the survival of of those we love, as in the case of this woman and her baby. Yep, absolutely. And so, and they can be just as impressive when we look back and know that we didn't listen to them. <laughs> I remember That's... a time in my own life when I had a feeling that uh, if I parked my car in a certain spot, that something might happen to it, and I parked it there anyway, and a tree fell on it. <laughs> so, I mean, it was like, okay, I'm listening now, <laughs> you yeah, know. Got your so... attention, didn't it? Uh, well, I, you know, people have those experiences, I think, quite commonly. Some people just ignore them, they repress them, they don't want anything to do with them, and they're frankly scared of them. Mm -hmm. But uh, I think there's another way of approaching uh, premonitions. It it simply is to view them as a source of information, uh, like all sources of information that aren't always accurate. We can develop skills in learning which which ones to trust and and which ones to ignore. But uh, I think the worst possible... uh, uh, position would be to say, uh, I don't want anything to do with this, you know, ignorance is bliss and leave me alone. Yeah, yeah, I don't want to know about the future. Yeah, absolutely. So, all right, that's a, you, you raised a good point there. How can we tell the difference between a premonition and so something else like an irrational fear or a paranoia or something like it? Well, I've interviewed people all over the United States uh, about how they distinguish fantasy from the real thing. And most people give a pretty consistent picture of how to do that. Uh, The most common criteria that people use is the vividness of these things. 
Uh, many people say that premonitions that turn out to be valid have a quality that common dreams just don't have. Uh, they're vivid. Some people say, this was the most vivid dream I've ever had in my life. Uh, one woman told me that uh, her dreams that turn out to be true uh, are uh, come to her in italics. They're set off in a certain way. There's a sense of specialness about them. Another woman said, for her, the premonitions that turn out to be true are lit up from the inside. These are all colorful attempts to describe the specialness of premonitions that are valid. Uh, there, there are other uh, criteria we can use also. If they're recurrent, if they come repeatedly as if hammering on our consciousness to demand attention, uh, we ought to pay attention to those. Uh, also, a criteria I'll discuss in the book in certain, uh, in, in certain case histories is that if they're shared by other people, uh, there's a case in the book of a man and a woman prior to 9-11. Uh, he had a job in security on the bottom floor of one of the Twin Towers, and he had a dream that the towers were crashing. They were falling. There were people jumping out of the top stories and on and on. And unbeknown to him, his wife began to have the same dream. Uh, one day, she got so bothered by the dream, she told him about it, and he said, you know, gosh, I've been having exactly the same dream. Uh, these were very intellectual people, and they ignored uh, both uh, his and her dreams and uh, said, you know, this, this is just a dream, and dreams don't mean anything. And unfortunately, uh, he died on 9-11 uh, in the Twin Tower horrible disaster. So uh, if dreams are shared by more than one individual, then that should be a, a neon sign blinking on and off saying, pay attention. Yeah. And also, uh, Andrea, if they deal with death, Carl Jung said that any dream that deals with death should be paid attention to because you might not have a second chance. Mm -hmm. So there are four criteria I think people can use to, uh, to distinguish fantasy from those that may turn out to be valid. Uh, the vividness of them, whether they're recurrent, uh, whether they're shared by other people, and whether or not they deal with death. Okay. So you also cited some cases where people weren't dreaming but were awake, where they had a, a, a almost obsessive fear just come over them about something. Well, that's right, and I think it's important to bring that out. You know, most of the, or many of the really dramatic, vivid premonitions that turn out to be true do come to people in dreams. But that's not to say that they're limited to dreams. Uh, when they, uh, premonitions can occur in the waking state, uh, and uh, when they do, a lot of people will just call them, you know, intuition or a gut feeling or uh, a vibe or, or something like that. But uh, waking premonitions are extraordinarily common. Uh, often they do have to do with fear. Uh, uh, and I talk about many of these cases in the book. For example, uh, people can develop just sort of a, a sense that they ought to not travel that day. You know, they ought to change their air, air reservation or their uh, train reservation or whatever or not drive their car that day uh, or take a different route only to find out that uh, a, a disaster has occurred and had they followed through with their travel plans, they might, might not be alive. These are extraordinarily common. If you Google dreams of 9-11, you'll find thousands and thousands of uh, uh, instances where people have posted their premonitions uh, on the Internet. Some of these are on YouTube where people are talking into a video camera. 
they were so impressed with the vividness and the camera-like specificity of their of their premonitions of 9-11 that they made a video and posted it. I spent days looking at things, and I, I, I'll tell you that if you do that, it's kind of hard to walk away from these things and say, you know, this was just one of those funny coincidences that these things don't mean anything. Mm-hmm. I think they ought to be taken seriously. Absolutely, absolutely. All right, well, we're going to be back in just a few minutes to talk some more with Dr. Larry Dossie about the science of premonitions. So stay tuned. Think of the world 50 years ago. Now think of this same world and how it'll be 50 years from now. Did you know that if the world's population continues to grow at its current rate, our children and grandchildren will only have 25% of the resources per capita that our parents and grandparents had? We must preserve the foundation of a quality standard of living. That foundation starts with Go Green Radio. Join your host, Jill Buck, for Go Green Radio every Friday at noon Eastern, 9 a.m. Pacific on Voice America. Tired of the government squandering your tax dollars on bailouts and overpaid bureaucrats? On Free Markets with Dr. Mike Beitler, Mike Beitler and his guests explain why big government regulations are the problem and innovative businesses and free markets are the solution. Listen to Free Markets with Dr. Mike Beitler, Thursday mornings at 10 a.m. Eastern Time, 7 a.m. Pacific, on the Voice America Business Network. When I found out my jeans were made using child labor and sweatshops, I wrote a letter to the company saying, reconsider your labor practices. A few months later, I get a letter back saying, thanks for being a loyal customer, and they included a coupon for a 25% discount on their jeans. So I got smart, wrote letters every day to all the stores that carry the brand, asking them to stop supporting the companies who use child labor and sweatshops. And I just kept getting letters back, thanking me for my concerns, and more coupons for more discounts on more jeans. So I'm telling my friend about it, and she flips out, saying that between all the letters and coupons, some paper company cut down a small forest, driving off two indigenous tribes, hundreds of endangered animals, killing thousands of plant species, some of which may have contained vaccines for HIV, cancer, and syphilis. Meanwhile, the guys cutting down the trees are 13-year-old kids who work night and day for months just to save up enough money to buy a pair of jeans made by child labor in sweatshops. Saving the world isn't easy, but saving a life is. Just one pint of blood can save up to three lives. Visit bloodsaves.com to learn more. This public service announcement was brought to you by the Ad Council. Listening on a higher dimension. Seventh Wave Network. listening to Authentic Living with Andrea Matthews. We want to hear from you. If you have a question or comment about today's show, call in now, toll free, 1-866-472-5795. That's 1-866-472-5795. You can also send your questions or comments by email to Andrea at andreamatthewslpc.com. Now, back to Authentic Living with Andrea Matthews. And Authentic Living is sponsored by Spirituality and Health Magazine, The Soul-Body Connection, one of America's most prestigious spiritual magazines, publishing six times a year and offering an amazing array of information for the seeker both in print and online. Check them out at www.spiritualityhealth.com. And uh, we're talking today to Dr. Larry Dossie about his latest book, The Science of Premonition, and we're learning about what premonition is and isn't and about our fears of premonitions. 
Uh, one of the things I want to ask is, can we plan to have a premonition? Yeah, you can. Uh, you can't manipulate and control them. You know, they don't dance to our tune. And sometimes I think it's almost like premonitions are doing us. You know, we don't do them. Uh, that's just a way of saying that we can set the stage for them to appear in our life, and uh, we can invite them. And, and, and I want to emphasize the word invitation. Uh, uh, if we uh, say to ourselves and set the intention that we want to experience premonitions, they're much more likely to occur. Uh, I think that there are behaviors that people can institute in their own life that make us more premonition-prone. The one I'd put at the top of the list, Andrea, is meditation. Uh, most uh, people who are truly skilled at uh, certain premonition tests, and there are psychological tests that people can take to see if, they're, if they have talent along these lines, the people who score highest on these tests are people who have a, uh, a, a very dedicated meditation practice. There's something about meditation that frees up our unconscious mind and, and helps bring uh, unconscious stuff into conscious awareness. You can call that making consciousness. Uh, and some of the stuff that drifts up to our awareness from our deep unconscious can surface in, in dreams when we're not too well defended uh, against that sort of information. And that's why I think one reason premonitions are so darn common in dreams. So I put meditation at the top of the list if people want to do something that's going to make them more premonition prone. Okay. All right. So really what you're saying is people that are sort of open to that inner world that, that, um, that allow, can be comfortable in the unconscious, as we said during the break, and also... Um, uh, that they are, can allow, can sort of let go and allow the unconscious or the, what's in there to come speak forth to us. Exactly. Okay. There's another uh, discipline I might uh, mention, which is very productive also uh, in helping us have premonitions more frequently. That's keeping a dream diary where you record your dreams uh, on, waken, on awakening before they disappear in you know, the business of uh, everyday life. People who do this uh, almost invariably say that their dream life really becomes richer and deeper and more complex. Uh, premonitions turn out to be more frequent in dreams if people do keep a dream diary. I think that's another way of telling your unconscious, okay, uh, I want to know what's down there. You know, I'm going to record it. You know, I'm going to be friendly to it. I'm going to honor it. So those uh, are both ways uh, of... Uh, befriending our unconscious and inviting premonitions into our life, meditation on the one hand and keeping a dream diary on the other. Yeah, absolutely. Yeah, and, and you know, I've, I've said to people that if, if you say to your mind before you go to sleep that you'd like to remember your dreams, then you're inviting your mind to, to, to be conscious of what your dreams in the morning. And, and I guess what you're saying is in that same way, you're inviting... Uh, your mind to talk to you when you say, I'm ready to hear from you, when you, you say, okay, I'm, I would like to intend to have premonitions. I would like to have this information. Well, I think that's it. You know, uh, in setting an intention is, can really be uh, important. You know, connected with that is the use of affirmations, uh, where you simply state to yourself uh, as genuinely and authentically as you can that this is what I want to happen, and I'm open to that. It, it really does set the stage for the appearance of stuff welling up from our unconscious. I know this sounds sort of like a simple thing to do, but a lot of people spend most of their, or, or much of their conscious 
psychological energy and defending themselves against stuff that's in the unconscious. Mm -hmm. Uh, A lot of people even have this idea that dreams are somewhat demonic or satanic. You know, it's dark down there. Uh, uh, That's where the, you know, bad spirits live or something like that. A lot of bad, dark energy goes into defending ourselves uh, in many in, for many people against this sort of information. But if you want uh, to be really premonition prone, you need to go a step beyond that and befriend that information and encourage it to uh, appear in your conscious awareness. Yep, absolutely. Yeah, and that, that old motif comes from the uh, ancient idea that the natural man, who we really are under our masks and costumes, is really something very dark and sinful. Yes. So, yeah, that that archetype is still there in us, regardless of whether we come from secular or religious background a lot of times. Well, can you give us uh, uh, some more? You've given just a few brief cases, but can you give us some other cases where um, where we can see that premonition was really very real? Yeah, one that uh, fascinates me, which uh, I write about in the book, is uh, uh, a collective premonition involving 15 people. You know, skeptics often say, well, you know, that's, if, if there's just an individual here and there who randomly report premonitions, they just say this happened according to chance. But if a group of people have the same <clears throat> premonition and act on it, then it's really, uh, it's really hard to dismiss that as one of those silly coincidences. Mm-hmm. Uh, this happened in a little town in southeast Nebraska in 1950. Uh, it had to do uh, with the members of a choir, 15 of them, in this little Baptist church in a little town called Beatrice, Nebraska. And uh, uh, on this particular weeknight, uh, for years and years, the choir met uh, for practice at about 7, uh, 7.15. And uh, on this particular night, nobody showed up. Uh, it was the the first time in the history of the uh, church that n- there was a total no-show. Uh, it was extraordinarily odd. Well, five minutes after they were all supposed to get cranked up at prior practice, the church exploded. Uh, there was a natural gas uh, leak, and the, so the, if, it was a horrible. Ex- it just demolished this church. If anybody had been there, they would have been uh, killed. But uh, nobody showed, so nobody got hurt. Now, uh, this was actually... Uh, carried this story was uh, in Life magazine, which was huge in the United States in 1950. And for uh, a few days, this made headlines around the country. How was it that 15 people stayed away, thereby saving their lives? Uh, So reporters descended on this little town and interviewed every one of these choir members. And the odd thing is that nobody had a conscious idea that the church was going to blow up that night. Uh, but they all had these trivial, mundane reasons for not going to church, such as one woman was doing her housework and got carried away and forgot what time it was. Two choir members were doing homework. They were senior students in the high school. A couple of guys were listening to a baseball game on the radio that went over time. They all had trivial reasons, but not a single one of them uh, had any glimmer of conscious awareness that the church was going to explode. And I think it's fascinating Mm-hmm. Uh, I think this shows that how these uh, premonitions that can be life-saving can change people's lives unconsciously uh, and how they can involve groups of people. Uh, the odds against 15 people staying away uh, by chance on a single night uh, was calculated at over a million against one. 
Wow. So it's hard to say this was just one of those funny coincidences. The odds against that are over a million against one. Mm-hmm. Uh, so I love these kinds of uh, examples because they uh, express how uh, premonitions can prompt us to behave in an unconscious way. Uh, and if you look at people who avoid other tragedies, such as canceling their airline ticket on the day the plane crashes, and uh, in one study, people who avoided riding a train the day of the wreck, you find that almost never do these people have any conscious awareness that a tragedy is lying ahead in their future. They just have a sense that they should not travel that day, and they find some reason not to do it. Right. Uh, so it gives us another take on premonitions. They're not always conscious. They don't come to us lit up in neon detail saying, you know, stay away from church tonight or don't get on the train or airplane that day. It's much more subtle than that. Right, right. Okay, so so it's not going to be like a voice. <laughs> it's going to come to us and, and say, don't get on that train because you're going to have a wreck and die. Well, with the, the angel with the flaming sword in his hand doesn't appear, you know, telling right. us what's going to lie ahead. It would be very convenient <laughs> yeah, it really would. if that uh, were the case. But <laughs> consciousness is much more subtle than that. I think it has ways of delivering messages to us that don't always take the form of words. They can just be sense impressions, a feeling that we ought to do this or not do that. Uh, and I've often wondered why this is so. Uh, I think it's much more efficient if it is unconscious, if the message doesn't take the form of uh, an explicit image or, or something like that. Because, you know, if, if we had this vision that the train was, might crash or the plane might go down that day, we'd probably get into these word fights with ourselves. You know, am I hallucinating? Is this just fantasy? Am I just being fearful? Or should I travel or not travel? This requires a lot of debate, internal dialogue with ourselves, and we can waste time and we can be misled. Our logical mind can take over and say things like, well, it's just a dream, it's just a fantasy, and so on. But if it's unconscious, we don't get into that internal debate. You know, we have a sense that's very strong. We follow that. We don't always know why. Uh, And we're more likely, I think, to uh, heed premonitions in that way if if we bypass the logical, analytical mind. Yep. Yep. Absolutely. Um, And there's scientific proof for some of this, too. I wanted to spend a little bit of time talking about that because uh, that's one of the things that we think is, well, we can't prove that stuff. So can you talk just a little bit about some of the instances in which science has proven to us that these things are real? Well, I'll just say for uh, for, uh, starters that uh, if there weren't science, I wouldn't have put my name on a book about this. Uh, You know, the stories have been around forever. They've never convinced skeptics totally. Uh, And then today we have something different. We have control. Clinical trials have been done by researchers around the world now that I think compellingly show that we can uh, sense the future. Uh, My favorite set of experiments among several different types is uh, called presentiment studies. Presentiment, that means the feeling that comes before. Uh, these studies have been done, as I say, around the world. Uh, there are about a couple dozen of them, almost all of them point in the same direction. So here's the deal. You're sitting in front of a computer, and the computer is going to show you one of two types of in- images. It's going to show you a nice, pleasant scene from nature or at the beach or something like that, or it will show you something utterly horrible, 
like a grisly autopsy or a scene from war or carnage or an auto accident or something like this. Uh, you don't know which it's going to show you. The computer selects those images randomly. The computer doesn't even know. You're wired up to have something like your skin tension measured. And here's the deal, and here's the surprise. If the image that comes up is going to be one of those horrible images, you develop a stress response before the computer even shows it to you. How in the world does your body know that? How does your unconscious mind know which picture is going to come up? This is compelling evidence that we do have a sense of the future. Our body registers it, and we can know it unconsciously. Mm-hmm. I think it's really cool that there are people out there doing these kind of tests and, and, and controlled studies so that we can really begin to trust this, because I think that's the biggest problem is that we don't trust it. So we're going to be back in just a few minutes to talk some more to Dr. Larry Dossie about the science of premonitions. Stay tuned. Dad, can I ask you something? Sure. There's this girl I kind of like. Say no more. You just have to impress her. Okay, but how? Just... I don't know, pick up a lot of heavy things around her. Like what? You know, desks, chairs, people. Grunt if you have to. Grunt? Yeah, be like, oh! Uh, There you go. You don't have to be perfect to be a perfect parent. When you adopt a child from foster care, just being there makes all the difference. To learn more, call 1-888-200-4005. A public service announcement brought to you by Adopt US Kids, the U.S. Department of Health and Human Services, and the Ad Council. If you have a loved one that is undergoing treatment for substance abuse or mental illness, you owe it to them and yourself to tune in to One Hour at a Time with host Mary Woods. This compassionate and educational talk show will help you help those that you love by better understanding their condition and their personal recovery process. Tune in every Monday at 12 noon Pacific time to One Hour at a Time on the Voice America Health and Wellness Channel. Recovery begins this hour. Frankly Speaking About Cancer is a program designed to empower survivors and their caregivers to deal with the social and emotional challenges of cancer. Drawing on resources from wellness communities throughout America and abroad, the show will invite physicians, researchers, nurses, social workers, patients, and caregivers to share their advice on how to live a better life with cancer. Join host Kim Tibaldo, President and CEO of the Wellness Community, Tuesday afternoons at 1 p.m. Pacific Time and 4 p.m. Eastern Time on the Voice America Health and Wellness Network. Awakened Media for a Transforming World. Seventh Wave Network. You're listening to Authentic Living with Andrea Matthews. We want to hear from you. If you have a question or comment about today's show, call in now, toll free. 1-866-472-5795. That's 1-866-472-5795. You can also send your questions or comments by email to Andrea at andreamatthewslpc.com. Now, back to Authentic Living with Andrea Matthews. And we're back talking today to Dr. Larry Dossie about his latest book, The Science of Premonition, and learning a lot about... Um, how a premonition works, the science of it, several of the cases of it, and even how we can plan to have them. And we have a caller from California. Bev, are you online? 
so much for taking my call. Oh, you're so welcome. You're welcome. You have a question for Dr. Dossie today? Yes, I do. Thank you, Dr. Dossie. My question is, I have the same, not the exact same dream, but, but a dream that is very, very similar over and over and over for years. It's about me losing my purse. I'm someplace in a social gathering or in, in a store, and my purse is gone like it's stolen. And I just feel terrible, and I look all, all around for it. I never find it, and I wake up just oh, so glad that it was just a dream. And I'm starting to dream journal and trying to analyze my dreams because I remember a lot of them. Do you have any idea why I would dream this over and over? Uh, your uh, dream is almost an archetypal uh, dream, and uh, a lot of us have dreams. These are so common where uh, we're at a loss, we're confused, we are in a situation where chaos uh, enters, and the dreams are absolutely recurrent. Uh, I'll just share one uh, experience that I have in my own dream life, uh, just to say that if you're crazy, I probably am too. Uh <laughs> I have a recurrent dream. I've had it for years of having uh, forgotten that I have a particular patient in the hospital, uh, and it's just uh, terrifying. And I, uh, I, I uh, in the dream, have not made rounds on that patient for days and weeks, and uh, then I realize that, and it's just a terrifying situation. You know, is the patient still alive? Has my neglect hurt the patient? You know, is the patient yeah. uh, suffering because of my... Uh, lapse of memory and so on, and it's a recurrent dream. Uh, so, oh, I'm glad you. Uh, <laughs> I'm glad that that you have that also. Because there, there, there's a there's a dream, uh, for example, it's called the student dream, uh, and it's so common that it uh, has this uh, this name. The student uh, has a dream where they're they've missed the final, you know, and uh-huh. uh, they've forgotten that they were enrolled in the class. Right. They don't even know where the sometimes the, the final exam is going to be held. They wander the campus uh, and uh, they're at a loss. And it uh, tends to be extraordinarily recurrent. It has many forms. Uh, another form is people who park their car in a garage or in the street somewhere and then can't remember where they parked it. Right. And they wander through the city or you know, the parking <laughs> lot looking for the car. Yes. This is a motif that uh, is extraordinarily common in human dream life. Uh, it's extremely unlikely that this is nothing more than fear or fantasy. Oh, uh, good. And I'm not one to uh, do a psychological depth analysis of you over the telephone. Yeah. But it's highly likely that your your dream fits into this sort of motif, which is related to uh, uh, confusion about certain situations in your your uh, unconscious. So this doesn't have the quality, uh, as you describe it, of that I mentioned before, of extraordinary vividness, although it does have the quality of recurrence. But not every recurrent dream is going to turn out to be a valid premonition. Uh, I think you should be comfortable with it. I mean, the fact that this has recurred without any sort of uh, carryover into real life ought to be, I think, sort of comforting for you. Okay, thank you so much, because when you just mentioned about coming out and finding your car gone or whatever, that happens to me, too. So maybe in my life, I, maybe these are just release dreams or something. 
but I wondered about my, you know, the, the one that bothered me was, was losing my purse, like my money and my credit cards and, you know. Your resources, yeah. You know, so. you, you might want to talk to uh, someone about these recurring dreams to get some kind of other analysis besides, uh, you know, it's not, obviously Dr. Dossie doesn't believe that it's a premonition, but you might want to talk to someone about what they do mean and how, how you might be able to use that information for your life. Yes. Okay. Well, thank you so very much. I appreciate it. You have a wonderful day. Thank, thank you. Thank you. Thanks for calling in, Bev. Bye-bye. Bye-bye. Well, she brought up an interesting question, too, and that is that there are different kinds of dreams, and, and to know that premonitions can be one type of dream, and you've already said that they can be very vivid, and they can um, they can be recurrent, and they can uh, sometimes be shared, and if they're about death, those are really important, too. But... Uh, not all dreams are premonitions. Oh, absolutely not. Right. You know, it's. Uh, I think it's helpful to call in to, to keep in mind that just like we can have false memories of the past, we can have false intuitions about the future. Mm-hmm. Uh, not everything that pops up in consciousness should be taken literally. Uh, so, everything that pops up in the dreams, you know, deserves some interpretation. Uh, it's unusual that they. Uh, are not symbolic, and that's what makes uh, this uh, area such a challenge. But I think if we keep those four criteria in mind, then uh, we're less likely to be deceived about these than otherwise. Right, right, right. And that I, I think that's really important, what you said there, too. And I want to say this, uh, it, it is important for us to be able to draw those distinctions. And in order for us to be able to draw the distinction between, between say, an archetypal dream or a premonition or... Uh, fear and an intuition, we have to become familiar with the inner terrain. We have to be comfortable walking around in there, and that doing that makes us familiar with what feelings are attached to intuition, what feelings are attached to a premonition, you know, those kinds of things. So that, again, I want to encourage what you said today. Meditation is very important. It helps us begin to get comfortable with that inner terrain as well as keeping a dream diary, anything that helps us to sort of walk in there and become more and more comfortable in that area and walking that turf is going to be very helpful for us in making those distinctions. I want to say this also. I uh, do not line up with people who think that you can always uh, interpret dreams with 100% accuracy. I know there are a lot of people who make a living with dream interpretation and offer the hope that, uh, to, or the the encouragement to people that you know if they're just clever enough they can always tease apart the meaning of the dream. I don't believe that. I think some dreams are so completely symbolic uh, that they defy interpretation. And sometimes we simply, even though we spend a lot of energy and effort, we cannot crack the code or figure out what the dream means. So in those situations, I think we just have to not be too severe on ourselves and beat up on ourselves but simply live with it, be with it. Sometimes we have to live into the answer, uh, and so eventually the, uh, the dream or the meaning of the premonition may declare itself to us, or it may not. But in any case, I think uh, patience uh, is, is uh, really required in situations like that. And the worst thing we can do is to say, this is so offensive and scary, I'm just not going to have anything to do with it. That's a guarantee to make matters worse as far as the depths of the psyche is concerned. Right, right. And thank you for saying that. I think that's real important. I, there are uh, many people and many books out there that you can say, well, you can read and talk to that say, well, this particular symbol means this particular thing, and that's all it means. And 
and maybe that's not true. And what you're saying is we need to make a little room for mystery. Absolutely. Yeah, yeah, okay. All right, well, so um, how, how is it that my dream, um, not dream, excuse me, premonitions might relate to our view of the world in general? Well, let me give you one example. I, uh, I'm much uh, attracted uh, to your website, and I, well, thank you. I, I uh, really uh, honor your attention to what you call the authentic self, uh, mm-hmm. or your I am, uh, as you put it on your website. Uh, I, I really sense the same thing in premonitions. I think premonitions are a huge window into who we are. Uh, they show us that there's some aspect of our consciousness and our unconscious mind that simply is timeless. Uh, it can function outside the present. It can acquire information from the future. Uh, I think there's compelling evidence that this is just the way uh, we're, we're constructed. Uh, I think that the greatest contribution of premonitions, our ability to sense the future, lies along these lines. It shows us that there's some aspect of our consciousness that's just not fixed to the present. Uh, I go into this image of consciousness in the book in some detail. Uh, It's what I call a non-local image of consciousness, uh, in which consciousness uh, is simply not confined to the present. It's infinite in time. Uh, And if you reason through this, you can see that if some aspect of who we are is infinite in time, it's immortal and it's eternal. And so I think uh, this is a a way of sensing who we are in the deepest sense. Mm -hmm. Uh, In some sense, we have something that people used to call the soul. Many still do. But in any case, it's something about us that's not fixed in time. It's immortal. It's eternal. It's timeless. Uh, This has all sorts of implications for the survival of bodily death, and I think that this uh, assurance is one of the great messages that premonitions are trying to deliver uh, to us, this aspect that there's something beyond the physical body, that's something that uh, is immortal, eternal, that has no intention of signing off with the death of the brain and the body. Mm -hmm. Uh, So I, I think that this is one of the great lessons that premonitions can uh, give us if we're open to it. Absolutely, absolutely. And I think that's one of the reasons why they're impressive, even when we don't listen to them and we look back and go, man, I should have listened to that. (laughs) Because that's when you sort of go, oh, wow, there's something in me that's telling me that's giving me some kind of guidance, and I really need to listen. Well, I think that's exactly right. You know, we talked about ways of encouraging and developing uh, premonitions, ways of becoming more premonition-prone. I want to emphasize, too, that this comes hardwired. We don't have to acquire this. This is part of who we are. This is part of the great I am, as you put it, Andrea. Yep, yep, it is. Absolutely, I agree. All right, well, we'll be back in just a few more minutes to talk just a little bit longer with Dr. Larry Dossey about science of premonitions. Stay tuned. Awakened Media for a Transforming World. Seventh Wave Network. America is facing a skilled workforce shortage. 
SkillsUSA can help. What is SkillsUSA? SkillsUSA is life-changing. SkillsUSA is awesome. SkillsUSA is one of the biggest opportunities life can give you. SkillsUSA is amazing. SkillsUSA is motivating. SkillsUSA specifically prepares you for the workforce. SkillsUSA empowers students to connect with a network of people, starting with their classmates, to their advisors, to other people in their states. SkillsUSA allows students to connect with business and industry, to manage their education, and to really get a feel of the real world. I'm doing something now that's going to be applicable in the real world, and those skills are going to be useful today in school and in five years when I'm working and for the rest of my life. On the web at skillsusa.org. The Mayan calendar tells us that we will be entering into a 260-day opportunity for us to engage in conscious co-creation with great spirit. How will we prepare ourselves for this exciting and unprecedented time in Earth's history? Peter Tong has dedicated over 20 years of his life's work to exploring that which is beyond understanding. Peter will help increase your awareness and education on this enlightening transformation in consciousness. Awakening to Conscious Co-Creation airs live Wednesdays at noon Pacific Time, 3 p.m. Eastern Time on 7th Wave Network. Taking you to the threshold of a dream and beyond. 7th Wave Network. listening to Authentic Living with Andrea Matthews. We want to hear from you. If you have a question or comment about today's show, call in now, toll free, 1-866-472-5795. That's 1-866-472-5795. You can also send your questions or comments by email to Andrea at andreamatthewslpc.com. Now, back to Authentic Living with Andrea Matthews. And we're back with our final segment with Dr. Larry Dossey, and I have really enjoyed talking with you, and I I want the listening audience to be able to contact you, too, if at all possible. Can you tell us about what kinds of things you've got coming up, your website, anything that would uh, um, enlighten the audience to how they might connect with you? Happy to. I uh, have a very active uh, lecture life, and uh, my upcoming events are on my website, which is uh, DossieDossie.com. It's D-O-S-S-E-Y twice, DossieDossie.com. Uh, I share that with my wife, uh, who is an author as well, and uh, that's why there are two Dossies on the, the website name. Okay. Uh, and I list my itinerary, and uh, uh, people can uh, check in if they, if they wish. Okay. All right. Well, that's, that's good. So you guys check out DossieDossie.com to find out more about um, Dr. Dossie and his wife as well. Okay, so I want to talk about something now for the last few minutes uh, about something that might sound a little bit freaky to uh, the audience, but I really want to talk about it because I think it offers a very interesting and enlightening perspective with regard to quantum physics. Um, you've, you talk in the book about the idea that um, we can change the past, that uh, we can that that. And there's theory put forth by quantum physics that until something is observed, it isn't real, and that if it's an unobserved past, it can be changed. Can you talk just a little bit about that? Well, this is where 
uh, people really began to bail out on this conversation <laughs> <Okay>. <laughs> because they think this is just so woo-woo that it exactly. can't possibly be true. You know, when we talk about the past, common sense tells us that it's over and done with. Uh, it's written in stone. It's fixed. That's what we mean by the past. can't possibly change it because it's already happened. Uh, oddly enough, quantum physics says that that may not be entirely true. Uh, in the book, I talk about over a couple dozen experiments that show that certain events in the past can be changed by action in the present. Uh, uh, actually, there's a quality of these events that uh, is required for them to qualify as changeable uh, in the past. They have to be of a sort of probabilistic nature. Uh, they have to not be observed by anyone after they happened. And if uh, events meet those criteria, people can have intentions in the present, which clearly affect uh, how they uh, unfold in the past. Uh, I don't want to go into the ins and outs because everybody listening would probably hang up. It's a bit complicated, but I just want to emphasize that this kind of event tells us that our notion of time is horribly inadequate. We have the idea that time just flows from the past into the present and into the future. It's a one-way river. It can't go in the other direction. That idea has been given up and abandoned completely in modern science. As one observer said, uh, one scientist, prestigious scientist, Paul Davies, there's no history in science of any experiment showing that time flows in one direction. There's no evidence ever in the history of science that time flows at all. So I would just say that people need to open up and sort of uh, be flexible about their idea of time. Uh, our common sense idea has been given up as inadequate. And there are other possibilities that are sort of astounding, such as this idea that we can affect the past. So I think if people want to, uh, you know, have a great adventure of ideas that's supported by science, go to the book and read about people being able to affect the past. Absolutely. I really would encourage that. It's fascinating. And I would have been one of those who said, nah. <laughs> but really, I, I, it broadened my perspective about that as well including the concept of retro prayer uh, is one of the things that you talk about in there. So I won't say any more about that. But I want to talk just before we go about this whole notion of free will. And we, we, we sort of briefly talked about that at the beginning, but I want to go back to that because that's been one of the arguments that precognition can't really be real because it violates free will. Can you say something about that argument? Yeah, I think it's a theoretical argument. You know, people have taken this stand uh, actually throughout uh, recorded history that if you see an event in the future, it's written in stone. Otherwise, you know, you wouldn't visualize it. Uh, I don't think that it works that way. If you look at uh, people's actual experiences where they saw the plane crashing, and the plane, for example, did go on to crash, but they opted out. They changed their travel plans. This suggests to me very strongly that the the future of people is not fixed. Their current intentions can change their destiny. Uh, I don't think that premonitions imply that uh, free will does not exist. I think it's exactly the opposite. Uh, people's experiences suggest that the future is flexible. It may be probabilistic. Certain events may be more likely to happen than others. And certain events in the future may be easier to change than others. But the point is that change is possible. The worst thing is to give up on the idea that we can change the future. Uh, that uh, sort of leads to sort of a 
paralysis of intention and uh, will and the current and the and the present. So I think it's important for us to have an idea that free will does operate and that uh, uh, premonitions don't necessarily mean a fixed future. Uh, we do have free will, in my judgment, and I think uh, premonitions uh, uh, affirm that. Right, absolutely. And so uh, it, what you've also said in this book is that uh, premonitions can help us maximize opportunities. Can you say a little bit more about that? Well, absolutely. You know, some of the people that I've uh, quoted in the book uh, have used their uh, premonitions, which they generally call intuition, to really make the success of their lives. Uh, George Soros, the great, uh, uh, the internationally incredibly wealthy investor, uh, Donald Trump, uh, Oprah Winfrey, have all uh, are all on record as saying that they owe their success to following their intuition. If you really interview these people and have the opportunity to do it with Miss Oprah, that uh, they will say that they don't always know logically and analytically which way to jump when it comes to a business decision. But they follow their gut, their instincts. Uh, Oprah is extraordinarily open about this. She says that she owes her entire success to uh, her uh, ability to follow premonitions. Uh, I think that there's evidence uh, based on interviews and testing with people who are successful CEOs to show that this is extraordinarily common. They don't talk about premonitions because they're sort of nervous. They don't want their investors thinking they're just sort of, you know, looking at crystal balls. Their favorite term uh, to describe this uh, process is business sense or business intuition. It comes to the same thing. It's an ability to sense the future. And they are, uh, some of these folks are dramatic examples that if we do that, we can set the stage for incredible success in our life. Absolutely. And I, I do think it's fascinating that so many people now are using that word intuition. I mean, the word counterintuitive came into play about seven or eight years ago because we there are some things that don't fit into what we would think would would work and our intuition would say would work and we are there's so many business people out there who are literally teaching their associates how to use intuition as a tool to um, to uh, with regard to um, brokering deals and things like that and and uh, the police have started saying well it's just a gut feeling you know you see that all the time on TV that mm-hmm. Some officers had a gut feeling about something, and he follows it, and it turns out to be true. So, yeah, absolutely. You know, in my own practice of medicine, I see this all the time. Uh, I've known doctors who were so good at diagnosis that they got uh, their decision from some other source than the actual lab or lab data and, 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 and physical exam and so on. I've had professors back in my training who were so good at this that when you ask them how they came up with the diagnosis, they just flat out can't tell you. Mm-hmm. Uh, I think that uh, intuition operates and uh, across the board in most professions, and if you really squeeze people who are very successful in these professions, usually it will come down to saying, well, I just followed my heart, my gut, or my instincts uh, much of the time. Yeah, absolutely, absolutely. So following means listening and, and behaving as if it's real. That's right, and yeah. trusting it. Uh, I'm not saying we should wing it with intuition uh, or intuition uh, every uh, instant of our life. We need to have supplemental sources of information, such as logic and analysis and reason. But we ought to use intuition and gut instinct as a supplemental source of information as well. Mm -hmm. Yeah. 
Yeah, I, I, yeah, you're right. I, I think that we can't really afford to be so intuitive that we're not practical, or so practical that we're not intuitive. We exactly. Both. Absolutely. Well put, Andrea. All right. Well, Dr. Dossie, I have really enjoyed talking with you and could keep doing it for a little while longer here, but we've got to go. And so uh, I want to tell our listening audience that we are talking to Dr. Eric Pearl next week on Reconnective Healing. And uh, remember, your job, should you choose to accept it, is to give birth to yourself. Thanks again for listening to Authentic Living with Andrea Matthews. Join us again next Wednesday afternoon at 1 p.m. Pacific, 4 p.m. Eastern Time here on the 7th Wave Network. We'll talk again next week.